0: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Pollock and Thurston. I am John Pollock, joined by Brandon Thurston, joining us just days removed as Buffalo is reeling from a debilitating loss. To the New England Patriots, and if I have my very very amateur NFL scheduling in my head, do you guys not have to turn around and have a game tomorrow? Tomorrow are the isn't bills there a Thursday game for for the Bills? bills playing tomorrow,
2: they might be. Don't quote I, I, me on that. Definitely I, I, don't quote I, I, me on that. I'm a fan when the Bills are on, and you know I, I spend little time outside of that thinking about the Bills, except for a while I'm watching their tragic losses uh, happen before my eyes.
1: Well, we have a great show coming up. Uh, we might touch on some of the news before we get on out of here, but. We would be remiss not to do a cordial welcome to the ever expanding Patreon family that is out there. Brandon, you know, Patreon, I'd like to say not, not the first, uh, to get here in the wrestling front, but it is populated over the years. But boy, what a stamp of approval now joining the Patreon ranks. None other than Mark Calloway himself, the undertaker taking to Patreon, a sentence that I mean, anyone could have predicted 15 years ago, guarantee the undertaker twitter patreon should, should stand we keep up shows up
2: promoting this he's, he's competing with us now
1: well you know what if he wants to come on for maybe a rewind away maybe he wants to do the next earnings call with us he is more than welcome to come on for our next tko breakdown i i so apparently you knew about this for a while i only this happened over ago. the weekend this quietly came out but you
2: apparently have seen his whole pitch video i've i've listened to his pitch video where he's like this is my new patreon all all my biggest this is for all my biggest fans all all the creatures of the night And um, yeah, he's, he's real excited about it. And he's real excited for you to sign up. So is this, is this
1: revenue all independent of WWE? Do they get any kind of, this seems like this is an independent venture. No
2: undertaker here. It's clear. This is a Mark Calloway production. I did not see the, I've I've looked at this for like two minutes. Um, Well, in most weeks, this would just dominate the hour
1: of discussion. And maybe a future chat is to be held about pro wrestlers. uh, uh, It's it's going to dominate
2: news headlines on wrestling news sites for many, many, many months to come
1: can't wait but for the next hour everyone can sit back because it is time for hall of fame season and we needed to have someone come in if it comes to a uh, pro wrestling media the hall of fame wing this man would be a first ballot inductee easily encapsulating 60 percent of the
3: vote he is alan farrell
1: the man behind the pro
3: pro sorry narratives. john just give me a second i'm just subscribing to mark Holloway's patreon here and then i'll oh, be which tier Oh, whatever the best one is—Creatures of the Night, Dark Side. Uh, There's three. Yeah. There's an expensive There's three. Get it. Get in the casket with Mark. Any anything available? I'm I'm jumping all over it. Obviously, one of my favorites of all time. Um, I will never subscribe to uh, that man's uh, Patreon. I think I can safely say, but uh, yeah, yeah. He's jumping into so. it
1: at the right time. Like I cannot wait for this time <laughs> next year when it's an election cycle and the undertaker, maybe him and Glenn Jacobs are going to do like election night coverage together. I mean, what, what views could come out of Mark Uh-oh. Calloway? What was it his thoughts on the, on Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump? I mean, these are, I'm sure these are all be, thoughts I'm dying to hear.
3: I'm sure they will be well-researched, well-thought-out nuanced. Um, even more so than the ones we'll bring here on this uh, Hall of Fame edition of the show.
1: Yes, we are going to uh, dive deep into the Hall of Fame ballot for 2023. Uh, for those that are maybe unfamiliar with the criteria and how the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame works, essentially there are people from all different sectors of the industry, media included, that receive a ballot and you need to achieve 60% of the votes in your given region to go in. You can be eligible after the age of 35 or 15 years inside of the industry, and it is broken up into different geographical regions. And Alan, how long have you been a voter in the Hall of Fame process?
2: Um,
3: I think probably since the early 2010s, so maybe like 2012 or 13, somewhere around then. So definitely, definitely a decade, um, maybe a little a decade in change we'll say but uh yeah it was something that I was cuz I followed the Hall of Fame like my first year really getting into the Hall of Fame and really knowing about its existence was probably like I think oh four. I would say I missed the I missed the Sean Michael's Wars message board wars of uh, like 2002 2003 um some amazing uh, <laughs> content opportunities during that time the debate over
1: Sean with like social media would have been just oh my magnificent. god magnificent
3: yeah, yeah, my good friend Justin Shapiro has, is still scarred from, from those fights. But, uh, um, yeah, like 2004, 05, 06, I remember getting really into it then. And then a couple of years later, when I had been doing the show on the Observer website, Dr. Keith Presents and, and writing a bit for the Observer, um, I was able to get a ballot from Dave. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's something I, I take quite seriously. I put a lot of thought into, um, I try to stick to the, criteria uh, to the letter of the criteria as much as possible, but there obviously is some sort of some wiggle room there. Some people have very broad wiggle room that they like to use that maybe kind of go outside the criteria. Um, but I think for everyone, there's a certain amount of wiggle room there. It's, um, that Dave provides with, with his criteria not being like super strict, but also a pretty clear guidance. And yeah, I try to stick to that. And I think there's been some really interesting candidates the last couple of years and some interesting developments with the selection process this year in terms of how many votes we can have per category and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun process. Honestly, the biggest thing for me is just learning about like every year I try to learn about someone new as part of the Hall of Fame research. So that's that's something that's a lot of fun. And, and there's other people and uh that, that are writing about it and podcasting about it. And I try to just for like about three, four weeks, just absorb as much as I can and really get into it. And it's just a fun thing to do annually.
1: It is a really like fun exercise to go through if you if you're not like living and dying based on the uh the, the results of such things, but uh, we will go over the the criteria for the Hall of Fame is a combination of drawing power being a great in ring performer or excelling in one 's field in pro wrestling as well as having historical significance in a positive manner. A candidate should either have something to offer in all three categories or be someone so outstanding in one or two of those categories that they deserve inclusion and longevity should be a prime consideration rather than a hot two or three year run unless someone is so significant as a trendsetter or a historical figure in the business or valuable to the industry that they need to be included. However, just longevity without being a long term main eventer, a top draw and or a top caliber in ring performer should be seen as relatively meaningless. So, Brandon, uh, just as we uh, dive in, what are the categories that you regularly uh, vote in? And then I'll ask the same to Alan.
2: I think this year I'm probably only going to vote in U.S., Canada, modern and Japan. But in the past, I have voted in uh, the historical category. And I have vote, voted uh, last year, last two years for Mystico in the Lucha, Mexico category.
1: Backed up last week. I mean, clearly Rosenberg, Texas, they they went to the ballot box last week and got, uh, you know, they, they cemented Mystico's inclusion last year. How about yourself, Alan? What are the regions that you regularly vote in?
3: Um, well, I when I asked for the ballot, like 10 years ago, I kind of purported myself as an expert in Japan and obviously sort of modern U.S. and Canada. Um, Back when I was still in my, in my twenties, but now in my late thirties and I start to notice a few grays in the beard and uh, I see certain names appearing in the historical bucket that make me feel extremely old. Uh, As of last year, I've been voting in the historical uh, as well and trying to, last year I did a lot of research into the historical candidates and um, read a lot about different people and felt I could kind of give a meaningful vote towards that category. Um, Mexico is something that there are candidates that pop up most years that i f- feel quite strongly about rather sad mystico is a great example um but this year I- i've never voted in mexico because there's usually more there that i'm not comfortable with than that i am and this year that's particularly the case i'm leaving it to others this year for mexico the names that are on there there's one or two that i, I would have an opinion on but for the most part that region this year i think it's one that i'll i'll step back from and i'll be interested to see who goes through and um and non-wrestler as well obviously is something that i've always voted in i I view non-wrestler because it's such a a, a, there's such a large quantity of guys in there you're never going to be an expert on everyone in that bucket and it's just a case of you know dave taking the uh seeing who comes through with the amount of people that vote because i think most people tend to, to vote in that category so it's you're, you're gonna you're gonna separate the the wheat from the chaff i guess uh in, in that one and yeah we I have, i'm
2: not in non-wrestlers by the way we, it's clarified what category they're in so non-wrestlers yes. are they belong to one of these you might call them region categories and until this year it was you know, sort of for you to guess which which category they belong to, because Chris but,
3: Harrington discovered that, didn't he, yes, like about yes. seven or eight years ago? He's like, wait a minute.
2: Dave's doing something funky here. Yes, this is one of Mookie's many discoveries. And so if you were not, <laughs> um, if you say you were choosing not to vote in the historical category, but you wanted to vote for, let's say, Morris Siegel and you voted for him in the non wrestler category, you were then sort of voting against everybody you thought you were just abstaining from. But now it's it's been made clear, much to my relief.
1: Yeah, I'm voting in the same categories as Alan. I I have voted for Mexico in the past, but it, it's the same where there there might be some that that stand out that I feel comfortable voting on, but there's enough that I don't that I feel it's better to just abstain as well as rest of the world that I'm just not as well versed on the entire field. So maybe we will get some time for some of the historical candidates, but I want to focus a bit on um uh, primarily our discussion will be on the modern performers as well as Japan and. As you look at the ballot, Brandon, who is the candidate this year? Well, actually, let's just, uh, quickly rewind to l- last year. The, it was a pretty, pretty sizable class that was inducted in. You had the tag team of Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada after years of, uh, Taui knocking at the door, and Mystico, the only
2: two time Hall of Famer in the Hall of Fame, I think it's which, yes, which, which is, which is just, just fine with me.
1: Yes. Which instead of two rings, he gets two observer subscriptions now, um, to, sent simultaneously to his address, uh, at his ramen shop. Mystico also both, both of those, uh, sets going in with 76% of the vote. Koda Bushi, 65% of the votes votes. Losevianos with 63 and rollerball Mark Rocco, as well as, uh, uh, Inductions of Lou Darrow and Johnny Doyle, who were not voted in, but were historical oversights. So the big additions this year include the beauty pair in Japan, Seth Rollins, John Moxley, and the Young Bucks. So some, some clear consensus, I'm sure, with all of these, uh, additions. But Brandon, um, the, who, the Briscoes as well, right, John? Oh, that's right. The Briscoes were also, um, a- added as well this year in the, uh, the modern we've, category. We have two, two sets of Briscoes on the ballot. We have Briscoes versus Briscoes, um, so they will be all fighting for for a spot this year in the Hall of Fame. But who would you say is the, the lightning rod candidate, Brandon? There may be many, but who do you think is the candidate that's going to get the most debate, the most discussion that
2: you find to be the most fascinating candidate uh, for a opening discussion? I, I guess young bucks are going to get the most controversy because they're new. I would, I would say Reigns and Punk are are lightning rod candidates too, but they've been on the ballot for a couple of years at least now. Um, but the young bucks, this is their first time on the ballot. Um, they they have a close association, you could say, with the Observer in many ways. Um, and I th- I think if are we are we asserting opinions already? I, th- I think they're pretty strong candidates, especially considering that they're a tag team, uh, compare them to the tag teams of their era and the, the importance that they had with helping launch AEW.
1: Alan, what are your, some of your opening thoughts regarding, uh, the, the young bucks and also kind of, I think you're going to get a lot of, uh, similar comparisons to the Briscoes when it comes to in ring contribution. Uh, yep. but the young bucks, I think there's an argument without all of the like AEW involvement of launching it. But I think like, it's a pretty strong foundation that they come into this uh, ballot with.
3: Yeah. It's funny. I've, when you kind of i have to step back from kind of what i've been doing in my head regarding the hall of fame to when we come on a show like this and we're discussing kind of like you mentioned them as being like a a big talking point candidate right from the start i'm like oh my god i've given zero amount of seconds taught to the young bucks for this because to me they're just such a slam like it's i was like I, i knew i'd be voting for them whenever they appeared on the ballot and then i was like okay they're on this year i'll be voting for them and it's Because of what you said, John, they have such a strong case before all the influence. Um, I'll just I'll take the influence side of things first, like seeing how their careers develop, because I've been following the Young Bucks since Matt Jackson sent me links on myspace in 2006 to stuff they were doing in like their backyard and uh, i saw their pwg debut i in 2007 i believe it was and then saw them go to dragon gate in 2008 and have followed their whole career and have seen the the lows they hit when like the industry was not accepting of like, if you think of like the period when they were in, um, TNA and impact and, and they were just like, they were just, they were broke. Like they, were not, like they, were broke. Of they were not, they were their story. They were not getting a chance and they went to new Japan and they were able to uh, absolutely latch onto something that existed. The, the groundwork that that had been built by Fergal Devitt and Carl Anderson and, and, and those guys, um, they latched onto that for sure, but they they and Kenny put their own stamp on on it on the Bullet Club, and I would say certainly raised the stock and the popularity and the appeal on a broad scale of that faction, that branding, um, whatever you want you want to talk about. And uh, they did it while never really, um, I don't think, uh, having a, a huge decline in their in their level of performance. Um, and it just obviously skyrocketed into such this huge thing when you added Cody into the mix and they're able to do all in. And then like AEW just wouldn't have happened without this. And it's so much of their fingerprints are all over it. And like, it's undeniable to me. It Like, look at how much AEW has changed the industry um, both for the benefit of wrestlers and, and staff working within the industry to give them um, better options, also to fans. There's there's negatives too. Like I generally like the culture of like online debates, not really for for me. I don't really like the way that's kind of gone. But I mean, like things we talked about, Shawn Michaels Hall of Fame wars from 20 years ago. There's always been an, that kind of thing online. It's just in a different form now. Um, so they've. Outside the ring, they've done a huge amount for, for the business. And inside the ring, you compared them to the Briscoes. I would have the Briscoes kind of portfolio of work ahead of the Young Bucks, I think just based on uh, variety. I think the Briscoes have had more variety in their work. I think they were able to evolve over time in um, it better ways than the Bucks have. Um, I think the Bucks currently are a, a little bit stale, is, is, is my opinion. Um, I still enjoy them, but I still think they're capable of having a, a match of the year candidate tomorrow if they want to, um, with the right opponents and, uh, they're still great. Don't get me wrong. But the Briscoes, we saw what the Briscoes did and like, what the Briscoes did in 2022. Um, obviously very poetic in, in terms of, start 2023 Jay's tragic passing and, and 2022 being like their final year together as a team and and what they were able to achieve during that year is just remarkable and it really like you could argue it was their their best year in terms of peak performances with those those matches with FTR um I I didn't think they'd be able to have a feud that was at the level of what they did with Kevin Steen and El Generico in 2007 but it, there's certainly an argument that um, I, I think the FTR feud will have a bigger historical impact and legacy um, because the amount of eyeballs on it. So, um, yeah, I but I do think the Young Bucks with how uh, like they had so many great matches and they were they were so good, so young and they really they they took what was already a kind of evolving wrestling style on the independent scene and. Um, and they kind of pushed the boundaries even a little bit further and put their own stamp on it. And they were able to, what they were able to do during the peak years in Reseda with PWG was exceptional. Um, a lot of their, the work they did when they were really young in Dragon Gate, Nick was like 19 touring, uh, Japan regularly for Dragon Gate. And they did a lot of great stuff there. And, and they had a, a bunch of really great matches in, in New Japan, particularly. I, I, I don't want their matches that they had. Um, with Kenny and Ibushi, uh, to be forgotten, like those, the match they had in California on a New Mm -hmm. Japan USA show, like that was an incredible match. I think it was 2018, just that weaved in together so much stuff. Like that was really, and then they did it again in AW with Hangman and and Kenny. And like those are some special, special Mm -hmm. matches that are up like amongst the best I've ever seen. So yeah, it's, they're a no-brainer slam dunk candidate for me.
1: I, I'm with Alan. Like I, I put them down immediately and I just think like they have such a strong case and I don't think it's hyperbole to state, you know, the young bucks, if they opt to go to a WWE at the end of 2018, like there very well may not have been an AEW, uh, w- without them, without a CM Punk on day one with AEW and I think this is one that I think as well when we get the breakdown, I think among current performers, I think the Young Bucks are going to do exceptionally well, Brandon. And I think I feel this year they they should get in. But they're also one that I could throw this out to 10 people and half of them might have a totally just they're not fans of the style or even more so what the Young Bucks represent to them, even if it's not necessarily indicative of I see a lot of kind of simplification of the Young Bucks that isn't really up to snuff of like what they actually produce and have done with their ring style that to me has evolved a lot more than what I think people kind of compartmentalize them as.
2: Yeah, I think they're a very divisive team with people online. I think there's probably a lot of examples of other wrestlers throughout history who were looked at as not knowing how to work or not wrestling the right kind of style or not wrestling in the right way. I think as time goes on, that, that will shed away from how they're perceived in history. Um, I mean, that's not really what we're voting on, but I, I think that as time goes by, you know, this, that the people who criticize and, uh, Anatina Raka for, you know, doing too many flying moves are going to be kind of the same people who are criticizing, uh, the young bucks right now, because I think their, their historical significance will continue to, to last and, and leave people with, you know, long lasting memories. And I think they're, you, to think about a tag team that has, had you know a similar volume of match quality is pretty hard uh, maybe the briscoes are in that conversation but i don't know if anybody really comes close now they were never in wwe they never had the, the sort of wide recognition like say maybe a tag team like the new day are who have you know never been on this ballot don't know if they ever will be um, so in terms of you know being known to the average person maybe not so much but in terms of starting something that that they just sort of grew out of the indies and being in new Japan. And then by the way, helping the bullet club brand grow into something that was worth being licensed at hot topic. And we had, um, I think during WrestleMania weekend, 2018, I have heard the story that, you know, somebody asked, you know, somebody at WB, you know, you know, why don't we have the bullet club shirts, you know, uh, your bullet club shirts in, in our shop or something like that. And not realizing that that wasn't a WB brand. Um, so that stuff, bu- helping build that brand, which is a minor point, but also, Being instrumental in allowing AEW to exist. I I think Tony Khan was going to launch a promotion regardless of what talent he was able to get, whether or not it would have all come together and would all have worked and enough people would, you know, enough talent and people would have trusted AEW to to be what it's become without the Young Bucks there and without the the early, you know, all in players there is another question. Uh, But it's allowed, they've played a large part in being able to create a strong alternative for fans and for. Workers, um, which has really changed wrestling in a big way.
3: They were the hook, uh, especially in, in the early days. Like if Tony did something without them, uh, there's a few routes he could go in terms of what his hook would be. But I don't think anything would be near as strong. Like if he could persuade Punk, but we know the reservations Punk had in terms of trusting. Um, and what's the domino Tony. effect if if the Bucks opt out? Maybe Punk is still there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, um, (laughs) if if you just look at the the fact, like, how does that impact uh, Kenny's decision making, Cody's decision making, like for Jericho to jump on board? Like, those are questions we can't answer, but it's like, I think they were pretty key to bringing to cultivating an audience that was so desperately looking for. Um, something else in wrestling that they were pretty much the blueprint of like representing that to that audience of something different that this company needed to have that as opposed to just here's a company with all this money to fund a wrestling company and instead there was this large groundswell that they were going crisscrossing the country cultivating for
3: years on the it, it was bigger than anyone thought like I, I can't speak for you guys but i was like i knew they had a pretty healthy following i felt that pretty well finger on the pulse with that but i was staggered to see just how big it actually was and and still with things like and obviously this isn't directly them or anything but there things like the Wembley show which i was at like it's like i think we constantly underestimate how um how big of a fan base there is for certain kind of niche things within this this niche hobby that we we all love so
1: well, let's move on to uh two more um non-confrontational picks. Uh let's let's discuss Roman Reigns and CM <laughs> Punk next. Um let's let, let's start with with Roman Reigns cuz there's probably plenty to uh dissect with with Punk. But for Roman Reigns, um Brandon, have you been a past Roman Reigns voter? Uh and if not, um has has that changed over time and what has gone into your decision process as Roman has
2: growing into this character that is the current representation of him this is only his what second or third time on the ballot i have never voted for him yet i will probably be voting for him yeah he
1: was only on last last year he only got 31 percent of the vote and
2: that was his i
1: was this his first time on the ballot or that that was his
2: that was his third year this this is his third year on the ballot so he was on the ballot last year and the year before that okay
1: there we go Um, so there you go. Yeah. 31% last year. So, I mean, he has a ton of ground to, uh, make up this year and would like that, that is not a number that you like, that would be a massive, um, gain for, for him to pass the 60% threshold. But I think he has an incredibly strong case this year.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, as as somebody who's, who's looking at and reporting the quarter hours, it's, it's something that we've talked about in the last couple of months is that when we've looked at the quarter hours, maybe in 2022, certainly the first half of 2022, it was hard to decipher somebody really moving, oh God, moving the needle. Um, but as 2022 wore on, um, and certainly this year, uh, some of the biggest quarter hours have been associated with his segments. And there's been more clarity in other ways too across quarter hours and other, other forms of measurement, right? Um, WB has regained a lot of popularity in the last 12 months, at least, um, raw and SmackDown are doing better for the most part than they were, say two years ago, TV ratings for both are up live attendance for both are up, but SmackDown, which is the brand that he's on is up more strongly than raw in live attendance. It's uh, the TV ratings are up more strongly than raw, uh, both both in the case of SmackDown. Um, and I don't know if you could argue that there's anybody that's anywhere near as central to the WWE's regaining in popularity over the last couple of years than him. Um, and I've been a proponent of the notion that being on Peacock has helped, which I think it has. <laughs> and, but I think the talent uh, has had a lot to do with that too. And I think Roman Reigns has by far uh, played the biggest part. I think, it's easy to dismiss anybody from being a draw in this era, especially in WWE, where the brand is so strong and people want to talk about. No, the brand is the draw, and WrestleMania doesn't really draw. You can't credit that much to the talent, but because the tickets are sold so far ahead of time. But I think I was looking at the the years that he's main evented WrestleMania uh, since he first main evented WrestleMania, which is 2015. So he he's main evented, you know, go, go 2015 to the president. And that's nine years, and there's only two years where he was not in the last match on the last night of WrestleMania. Uh, every other year he's main eventing. He's main event against Lesnar in 2015 against Triple H against the Undertaker against Lesnar. He has two years in 2019 and 2020 where he doesn't main events. He's not even on the 2020 WrestleMania. Of course, that's the big pandemic one with no crowd. Uh, but then he main events again in 2021, 2022, 2023. Um, and you could say that, well, These tickets are all sold so far in advance. Can you really attribute that to any talent? And I would say it's sort of like the inductive principle. You know, what do you, if, even if you don't know what any of the matches are when you buy a WrestleMania ticket, um, if you're, you know, if you're sitting here in 2017 or so and you're buying a WrestleMania ticket and the last three years have been involving Roman Reigns in the main event, pretty good chance you're going to be, you're buying a ticket to see Roman Reigns in the main event. And these nine shows, the ones that weren't affected by the pandemic, um, there's like seven out of nine and, Those are almost without exception. If you exclude some of the the big government shows in North Korea and Saudi Arabia, these are the biggest live gates of all time adjusted for inflation. Um, There are some Tokyo Dome shows adjusted for inflation that might come close. But these are the biggest shows of all time uh, in terms of selling tickets. Um, And I think the, the NXT stuff has really shown me too that Is the brand really the draw? Well, if you isolate these, these one, you know, one talent, it it does make a significant difference. And I think, you know, he hasn't been on NXT, obviously, but seeing the difference that he's made in the last couple of years on SmackDown has been remarkable. Um, There's certainly points against him. He's certainly somebody who became a major star and has become a draw out of attrition. I think in many ways, John Cena is, is the, the trial run version of Roman Reigns in that if we just push somebody to the moon constantly, constantly and try to get him over, will he eventually become a major star? Well, in his case he did. Um, and he was a top star and was pushed extremely hard in a time from 2015 to 2018 where popularity in WWE declined. Um, and that is in a a sense, a point against him. But these last couple of years where I can say without doubt, he's been the, the biggest economic difference maker in WB uh, has improved his case.
1: How about you, Alan, have your opinions evolved changed or remained similar um, when it comes to Roman reigns and the the transformation specific to the last three years?
3: I love 2014 Roman reigns. I thought he was going to be the, 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 the the guy, but then I saw them try to push him as the guy. And I was like, Hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, no, look, I'm going to preface this by, uh, by saying I'm the WB product is is not for me. It's it's not my cup of tea. I'm I'm really happy it's catering their audience so well at the moment, and people seem to be really loving it, enjoying it, and and things are going well. That's just good for the industry as, as a whole. Um. Uh. So there's a certain level of taste bias with me when I'm thinking about Roman Reigns, who is kind of emblematic of the WWE product and and, uh, and and so much of what goes into it now just the um, the overproduced um, uh, the the phrase that gets used a lot is um, community theater um, presentation in terms of the the acting and uh, stuff which uh, it's just, it's it's not for me and when it seeps when it's backstage is one thing when it seeps into matches it's I, it's it's not my thing but um like i try to step back from that in terms of analyzing him as uh in terms of his drawing ability and, and brandon makes a lot of really great points um and i would defer to brandon and the because of the amount of research i know he puts into that area of it as as being more knowledgeable than i am on it but a couple of devil's advocates things that i would throw out there is that we saw reigns in this position for such a long time and like you said brandon it was attrition and when i think about okay what what are they doing differently what is roman reigns doing differently now in 2023 that he wasn't doing in the last couple of years since he turned heel and based on my knowledge i i'm not aware of him doing anything greatly differently but I am aware that Sami Zayn got incredibly hot Um, I'm aware that Cody Rhodes came over from AEW and really lifted the momentum of the product I'm aware that Vince McMahon was kind of portrayed amongst the WWE fan community as kind of like the boogeyman and when he got ousted and everyone's favourite saviour Paul Levesque got given creative control That kind of gave fans a boost in terms of thinking it was more, you know, thinking things were better and then giving the product more of a chance, being more excited about the product and then being able to cater to those fans over the last year. And then the aforementioned guys kind of being put into the mix and uh, the Bloodline storyline, which hadn't been hugely successful up until this year really taking a hold this year i struggle to see that there's definitive um credit for roman to roman reigns for that i think you kind of spread that around a number of factors and the other thing with reigns and i'll let you guys fill me in here is like he's he would would i be right in saying he's like on maybe 30 to 40% of tv and pay-per-views a year and very much less than that house shows or is it a higher number than that
2: this is definitely the least he's wrestled in a year i'm I'm, I'm gonna look it up but you know he's on He takes large
3: chunks of time off right and good for him by the way but uh yeah it's when i see that um i i start to wonder uh, i i see that yes the the fan base are more enthusiastic as a about the product and as a result they're more enthusiastic about him but i don't think he made the fans more enthusiastic about the product i've yet to see any kind of i'm not aware of anything he's done differently in how he portrays himself how he wrestles um that make that make me think that and then there's a sort of historical significance um and in-ring performance uh, aspect of it as well that i want to get into but I'll, i'll let you kind of respond on that first would, well, would
2: you say, like, his h- him turning heel was a turning point in which the fans were able to boo him, which is which they kind of wanted to do while being part of the show? Like
3: two, uh, there was like two hours or two years of him as a heel that wasn't delivering the numbers that they have this year, right? Because he turned in 2020, am I right?
1: Yeah, in it was saying? The summer of 2020, 20 during the pandemic, so you had. Like I, I would certainly say, it's it's been this past year where to me he has done his most uh, effective work. I think yes, he has been certainly aided by some really hot baby faces. That I think that is more kind of intuitive of superior booking. That they had just done a god awful job with handling some of their baby faces. That has not been uh, the issue going back uh, even the Drew McIntyre build up last year into the Cardiff show, and then following that with. Sami Zayn with Cody Rhodes with Jey Uso and I think with Roman it's I think it's the it's the situation of like a lot of it you do have to look at the the totality of it I I certainly acknowledge pardon the pun the kind of struggle to get this guy to this role like it took unbelievable trial after trial after trial to to get him to this position that said, the 2015 to 2018 period, it's not as though this was uh, Kevin Nash in the middle of the 90s business for the company either. Um, but he didn't raise that. It's not as though he was like raising the flag either. Um, and I think it comes down to like what your assessment is of the the improved booking, if that's your opinion, and whether Roman has contributed to it, whether he's been a beneficiary of that, or a bit of both. That is probably the the result of this like he has become much more comfortable in in this in the skin but i think it's also been a case of the booking being much superior and and maybe that's not the strongest argument of what makes a a hall of famer when there's you know there's a long list i would say in favor and against for a candidate like that it's for me it's tough then to almost assign anyone in wwe right now like hall of fame status
2: if it is
3: i have i have a lot of difficulty with it and that's I think I'd have difficulty with it, whether I was super into the product or as I am not a big fan of the product. I think either way, I'd find it difficult to analyze someone's case. It's not impossible, but it's it's more difficult than a lot of other candidates on the ballot.
1: Well, let's talk uh, a bit about CM Punk, who had uh, quite the year. Last year, he had forty-one percent of the votes. Uh, that was up from thirty-three percent the prior year. And I, I have voted for Punk um, uh, both of those years, and uh, for, for for many. I, I believe this guy is a Hall of Famer, and for me, it's sort of like once you are in my mind a Hall of Famer, you don't like lose that status in my mind. So I will continue to vote for him. I thought if from the influence, I think he had a great impact on wwe's assessment of their developmental system and who could be a a star post-punk post-danielson uh from his you know the ring of honor tenure up this guy has been a like he has just been someone that has attracted so much attention that people are drawn to and it was sort of at the end of it all he does this debut in aew selling out the united center that to me if there was Any question, that to me just checked off yet another box I thought had a fantastic year in front of the camera in AEW where he was able to work, I I thought, like a great, you know, post-40 in-ring style that he had a lot of interesting matches, and it was all overshadowed by All Out last year, and this past year, I don't think there's anything you can... Um, look at this past year as enhancing his stock the question is was it detrimental enough that it's going to dissuade voters and there probably will be some that are gonna like he is the sean michaels candidate on on this ballot of all the behind the scenes that overrides the in-ring on-screen product that that he has provided but i am i'm am very curious to hear uh, both of your your thoughts let's start with with you brandon are you voting for sam punk
2: yeah, I voted for him last year. I will, I think I might have voted for him the year before that. I will vote for him again this year. He's, he was clearly the biggest draw for AEW. Um, he moved quarter hours. He moved TV ratings. I mean, the, for a stark example, look at the, the first rating that he did, uh, for Rampage. Um, the biggest show, the biggest pay-per-view show for AEW ever is All Out 2021 with over 200,000 buys. I don't know if they'll they'll ever touch that record. Um, He drew many of their million dollar gates, I think, including their, their early million dollar gates. Um, I certainly get the impression that he was a strong merchandise draw as well. Um, After he left, uh, or certainly after the, um, the all out fight of 2022, uh, he was out of the picture and their business declined. Um, When he came back, he helped business a little bit. It was not massive, to be fair. Uh, but he's out again, and that's not helping AEW's business. Just to give an example of the the positive effect he does have mm-hmm. on business. Um, in ring, I don't know if you if he's like a Hall of Fame level in ring performer alone, but I think he's good enough to somewhat contribute to his case. And he's certainly, I would say, one of the, one of the best promos of his era. Alan, your thoughts on CM Punk?
3: Uh, yeah, so I didn't vote for Punk until that first year in AEW was done and having seen just the difference he made, uh, and how good his performance was throughout that year. It was, he'd be, he, that was the thing to push. Like he was right up close to the line for me, um, based on his career up to 2014, but that was the thing that just had him just go flying past the line. And then, yeah, there's been issues in the last two years, but nothing that I think detracts from. What he had done and, um, for me, just to focus on his, um, performance, uh, because I think that's a huge part of his candidacy for me. So the criteria sets it as in ring and then it says in ring or excelling in one's field. I've seen people take that to mean the excelling in one's field is specifically for non wrestlers. I take it to me. I can see someone having that interpretation. I take it to mean that, um, just the overall thing is excelling. In terms of performance so in-ring promos angle execution uh conveying charisma on camera everything that goes into being a successful progressor. and um punk wasn't always um uh, he he's he's never been the consistency and quality of brian danielson in the ring um you're not gonna you're not gonna vote him in based on his the quality of his matches alone but going back to early days ring of honor just what a natural this guy was with a microphone in his hand with an angle that he could sink his teeth into like the thing that really i i think i kind of went in waves of kind of uh becoming an independent wrestling fan it was like cnaj styles and low-key kind of was my introduction i was like wow this is cool and then it was And maybe a year later, the punk raven feud really just grabbed me and just how punk was in that feud and his, his promos, the straight edge promos at the time that were just dripping with intensity. And there's just a guy that was so driven and driven by his, the level of his performance, wanting to do memorable things and, and caring about what he put forth there and and like that's something that i that i feel i don't want to go on a rant about um like modern wrestling or anything like that but i feel like a lot of um a a lot of wrestling today it's very it's like our culture it moves very fast you know in terms of um people are putting things out there to for for the moment and kind of not really thinking about legacy and and creating something special long-term and Punk was someone who you could tell was of that mindset um, back in 2003, 2004. And it's borne fruit because look at us here in 2023, having seen a Samoa Joe versus CM Punk feud, which captured the imagination of a big audience and ended up having a match at Wembley Stadium based on this feud that they did that I followed in 2004 With three matches in Dayton, Ohio, in front of a couple of hundred fans at the Montgomery Fairgrounds and then the Frontier Fieldhouse in in Chicago and then the Rex Plex in New Jersey. Like uh, maybe 2000 fans total were at those three shows. And here we are 20 years later and there's a a nationally televised storyline based on like that's creating a legacy with your performance and your work and uh um yeah it's to me um he's he's he was just so good uh throughout his career a lot of stuff he did in WWE at times when that company was having its creative struggles. And I'm sure as he got into, when he did his podcast with Colcabana, like various hurdles that he felt were in his way. But if you look at what he was still able to do in spite of that, like some of the stuff, the Rey Mysterio feud, the Jeff Hardy feud, the, um, the stuff he did uh, with John Cena their match on Raw uh, the pile driver match i always think of it mm-hmm. as and um, uh, his feud with Brock with, with Heyman involved in that was excellent and um, yeah just the the guy has done so much he he can really like i don't think he's the type to sit back happily in 10 years and be like ah what a career i'm really really happy with what i achieved and have that moment of zen i'm sure he'll he'll be thinking about something that's making him angry that day or or whatnot but uh uh yeah like i'll be thinking i'll be sitting back and thinking about like great things that cm punk achieved during his career and unfortunately at the moment if this is where it ends it's kind of a sour ending so hopefully it's not and hopefully we see more good stuff from him in the future
1: the, the seeds of the next two decades of this man's career were all planted on Live Journal in the early 2000s. I mean, if you followed CM Punk's Live Journal, you knew exactly what kind of guy this man <laughs> was going to be navigating the professional wrestling industry. And someone, by his own admission, thought like he would never be in a national company. He wanted to be Stan Hansen or Brody going over to Japan and coming back yeah. and no one would know him. And suddenly, I'm one of the biggest stars in the biggest company in the world, uh, but he's still this like he comes from like this like certain upbringing in the industry that that chip on his shoulder i think it's been both his benefit and his curse i think it has pushed him to be an unbelievable performer one of the most captivating speakers we've had of this generation but also someone that has gotten in his way in the worst uh examples and this past year would be uh multiple exhibits of such oh my gosh brandon Thursday. be, be, be no, careful be
3: careful on that live journal brandon you <laughs> oh, might boy. pull up some things that don't fly in 2023 <laughs> if if my memory serves me right <laughs> let,
2: let me vet this
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah, this needs the 7 second delay on a uh, harley
3: the harley race ultimate warrior story yeah uh, yeah probably not one we want to repeat <laughs> <laughs> well um Punk is,
1: uh, to me, gonna be one of the most interesting, uh, candidates this year. And I think, like, him and, him and Roman are, are two very interesting cases that I could see them both getting in. I could also see both, um, not making it in, but both are gonna have to make up, uh, a, a ton of ground, uh, th- th- this year in terms of, uh, picking up votes. And I would say if you, if you didn't vote for Punk last year, I can't imagine too many people looking at, you know what, this past year, he really does cross the threshold for me. I think you either were already a punk voter or you weren't and you're not going to be convinced over this past year. Two additions, and we can kind of wrap them up together, are Moxley and Rollins, which are very interesting because here is one that left the WWE system and one that stayed in the WWE system. I would say for John Moxley, if you're looking for... uh, Pre 2019, I I don't think he has a prayer of going nope. in based off of his WWE tenure. You're looking at these four years in AEW, and if that is enough for you and for Seth Rollins, um, I just listen. I, I think Seth Rollins is an incredible, incredible performer. I just do not see him getting the the support um at, at this juncture. I think he needs to um certainly catapult himself as more um. Just to a higher level in in WWE, like the in ring is, you know, very. You could argue he is the, the best performer in WWE. But um, I'm curious, and either of you think differently. I think Moxley's the more intriguing debate.
2: Yeah, in terms of how this audience of voters uh, feels about him, it, if you look at the Observer Awards, which are voted on by subscribers, not not the select two or three hundred people, um, but he has won wrestler of the year, I believe twice. Right. Um, so if you look at the winners of wrestler of the year, almost all of them are in the hall of fame. Um, so I think he's building a case. Moxley is, uh, towards getting in eventually, um, not ready to vote for him yet, but as time goes on, he'll improve his case. Um, Similar for Rollins, he he does, you know, he is one of those people who who sort of blends into into WWE. He's definitely one of the top people in WWE. Um, but is he Hall of Fame worthy? I think he's somebody who's going to be on the ballot for a long time and maybe he gets in eventually, uh, but not yet. He uh, was on the ballot once before, wasn't he? I think him and Moxley were both 10%. on
1: in 2021 and I think we're under 10 percent.
2: So yeah, this is
1: their
3: return exactly. to the ballot. Yep,
2: yeah, they're uh, on uh, in, I, I, 2021 I don't, and, and this year, yeah.
3: I could honestly see Rollins falling off again, and if he falls off twice, I'm I'm not sure there's an argument to to put because what's he gonna do there? Like, it's interesting. How it, many people have fallen off the ballot
1: twice? I imagine that's a pro, that's probably a small list.
3: Yeah, it's it's not a it's not the nicest thing, uh, but yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, if he if he does go off a sec, like I just. I failed to see what could have him go on a third time that he could do. I don't think his in ring work is going to evolve to any, like it's probably just going to slow down, right. In terms of his, his level of performance, we've seen already a big shift in his character. Um I'm not sure how many more of those he has in, in, in the holster, but who knows? But yeah, it's uh Moxley is a more interesting candidate for me. Um I think uh I'm going to be like, putting his name on and scratching it off my ballot about 20 times before uh, i finally email it over to dave i'm so close to being a, a moxie voter he's right there on the edge if like i was told his career was ending tonight hopefully it doesn't um i would vote for him um but i feel He's still, and I'm not someone who's hard and fast about, oh, the, uh, someone's an active performer, I'm not going to vote for them, but absolutely not. I don't think that's part of the criteria. But in Moxley's case, I still, he's, I feel like he's still got so much that he's going to give to pro wrestling, and I still feel like his career is, I, I, I just think there's a lot more meat on the bone to come from John Moxley, and I want to see, I, I think the package in five years in ten years is going to look a lot different than it is now and so i'm just yeah i'm just not ready to do it just yet i think is ultimately the conclusion i'll come to he deserves so much credit for just being like the iron man of aw like whenever they've needed someone to step up it's been him like his I never thought he would like, I was always a Moxley fan in terms of how he carried himself, his promos. And I was always kind of uh, take or leave his, his in ring work. Sometimes it really clicked for me. Other times, not so much. And the, the level he's got to this year in particular, like the matches with Hangman Page and some of the other stuff he's done have just been phenomenal. Um His, his two reigns with the AEW title were fantastic. Um, i thought his his match with hiroshi tanahashi at uh the um the first forbidden door was like i just don't think that match gets enough love i just uh, it's not a match i would have ever expected to be as good as it was like tanahashi at that stage of his career and moxley who's who can be like you know maybe not the smoothest of workers um but i just thought that was really good and just felt like a real visceral great match but um yeah so uh I'm, I'm very close on Moxie, but probably not going to pull the trigger this year.
2: And one thing we, I don't think we talked about yet is the, the change in the rules so that you can only vote for about a third of the candidates on any given region, um, which is going to lead to what? It's going to lead to, uh, in the next couple of years, more candidates probably falling off, right? And then, a, and then in each category, we'll have a smaller list of candidates. and Maybe then it'll be easier for more people to get in. But I think that's going to take a year or two, two to really come into effect.
1: Alan, who else um stands out for you among the modern performers I mean I I got the sets from you you're probably voting for the Briscoes and uh, yeah. just any others that stand out before we uh, I do want to touch on Japan
3: yeah I do want oh yeah we need to set aside time for three hours of shingo Takagi talk <laughs> uh, it's coming hope you guys don't have plans um so uh yeah the briscoes I just wanted to briefly say I won't go through the list but I did a um I just as a thought exercise um I went and I, from 2002, their first year in Ring of Honor, when Mark was still a teenager, he couldn't wrestle the first few shows in, in Philadelphia, um, because of the the um uh commission. Um, from that point onwards to the end of 2022, I I ran through and just what I think is the best Briscoes match from every year, and I have all but three years, I have at minimum a minimum of four and a quarter star Briscoes match, and. And that being either a tag or a singles they against each other. I didn't count singles matches for there against someone else. So just the, that longevity and that uh, consistency is is remarkable. And the three years that were missed, were, one, they were on hiatus in 2005. Um, they missed that whole year. Uh, 2009, there was an injury that took uh, Mark out for half the year. And it was also a very poor, um, matchmaking year, shall we say, the first full year after Gabe left, um, for Ring of Honor. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of issues that year in terms of the booking and the Briscoe certainly suffered as a result. And then 2013, where they were both doing mostly single stuff and also Jay had his six months suspension that year after winning the, the world title. So, but outside of that, I just have all these years with like, four and three quarter five star four and a half star matches just and in some of those years like 2006 or 2007 i'm i'm like looking at my my star ratings historically i'm like i could take any of like 10 matches that i have as like almost match at a year level like it's they were so good in those years it's and, and they were able to work as convincing menacing heels like if anyone's never seen the work they did with online express in 2011 as just the most dangerous violent heels you could you could imagine in in modern wrestling and that but then also as like beloved baby faces and in and, and other years and they could work a kind of um Fast-paced style. They could work a slow style. They could work a, a old-school Southern tag, a brawl. Um, so many great like stip matches, like ladder matches, street fights, all these kind of things. Like, yeah. So based on based on work alone, I would vote the Briscoes. So Dave says in the criteria, if you're so strong in one of the categories, um, you're eligible for being voted in and. They, they take that for a tag team. I don't think you can be as strong. 20 years of the level that they were at, you're not going to beat that. So if you're going to vote a tag team on work alone, I think you got to vote the Briscoes. Um, and then the other name I have, uh, someone I've voted for the last few years is Paul Orndorff. Um Who was the strongest
1: of these candidates in, in this section last year, got 50%.
3: Yeah, I think there's like a great wrestler for his era. Um really, really good in in terms of everything he did. His his charisma, his promos, his his work in, in like squash matches or more uh competitive matches. He was always just such a credible wrestler. Could work heel or face. And then what I think a lot of people um don't realize is how he went and was one of the few guys to work main events with and draw with uh Jerry Lawler in Memphis Hulk Hogan in the WWF and Ric Flair um in NWA and like he yeah, had not too many guys I think can, can say that like he and and he he went through every territory pretty much that what that meant something during the eighties. I, I just think if you're going to take an eighties wrestler, yeah, Paul Lorendorf is, is higher on, on the list from, for me. Um, and uh, certainly of ones that haven't been voted in thus far. Yeah. The, you know, w- w- when he died and you, you put into context,
1: like, like the Hogan run is just staggering, uh, that he has in, in the mid eighties. Um, uh, my, my correction, the strongest were the Steiners last year that had 52% of the
4: vote
1: And I'm kind of curious Brandon like how much does something like Rick Steiner this year do you feel that affects voters or has minimal if any effect when it comes to uh just people's comfort level of like voting for somebody that has like a a damaging hit to their reputation um that doesn't necessarily correlate to their their well d- does it correlate to their candidacy
2: it probably affects them somewhat. I would think, you know, who are the voters here? Um, reporters, people who talk about wrestling like us. Um, I, 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 don't, how,
3: I don't think old wrestlers. I think a lot of the old wrestlers exactly. share some similar views as Rick Steiner. So, <laughs> so you're
2: aware of it to begin with. And if they were, aware yeah, it, exactly. unfortunately, do these people care about it? Um, I could see it lessening enthusiasm. I was surprised to see that the Steiner brothers were the leading candidates who did not get in last year
1: um yeah me too yeah well let's uh move on over to the shingo takagi section uh (laughs) represented by japan it's kind of interesting like we talk about the briscoes and brandon had just pulled up like like their cage match ratings and Granted, cage match has definitely gained, uh, I would say influence the, these last couple of years, but nonetheless, it's like, it's by a gigantic margin that their votes are reflective of the three FTR matches as opposed to like 20 years before that. And with Shingo Takagi, like I'd imagine, Alan, a ton of people that are voting for Shingo Takagi are looking at these last four years in New Japan. And it's, it's a case of platform of the Briscoes in ROH and Shingo Takagi in Dragon Gate that is Massive parts of their careers, but just don't have the, the same eyes that you know the Briscoes in AEW for a year slash Ring of Honor or Shingo in New Japan have had these last few years.
3: Yeah, I think um because someone posted on uh, the voice wrestling Discord yesterday, and I was I was looking at it, and uh, I think they had on the cage match match guide uh, something like seventy or so Shingo matches that were that were up there and I know, uh, my good friend Case Lowe, um, he did a great, uh, he did a great kind of, um, he put together something and he's a Dragon Gate expert, um, he, more so than me even, I think these days. And, and Case did something. He was super knowledgeable on Shingo's whole career right back from the start and he tallied and Honestly, I would probably even have it a little higher if I was stuck on my own records. He tallied, uh, 205 Shingo matches that were four star or higher. And that was up until, I think, uh, like maybe 20, end of 2021, I want to say. And, um, like that's an astronomical number. And for me, yes, cage matches absolutely uh, weighted towards what Shingo has done in New Japan. And if you're to compare him to a Kazuchika Okada, who's essentially his whole meaningful career has been in the streaming New Japan era. Boom era, streaming era, where everyone's watching these matches and going on cage match and rating them. There are so many Shingo matches from Dragon Gate that I would consider like high-end match-at-a-year level bouts that probably very few people have rated on cage match and um a few people outside of a a small bubble would have seen and certainly in terms of hall of fame voters i don't think it's it's well known so like that's like i've written articles about shingo over the years to try to um make that argument so it is a little bit more well known and it's basically for me and there is there is a argument for Shingo in terms of certain things he was he's not necessarily that he has been a hall of fame level draw he certainly hasn't but there's there's positives in that criteria for him um that are a nice little icing on the cake but when you're voting for Shingo and I want to I lump Tomohiro Ishii into this as well um what you're asking yourself is how good do you have to be in terms of performance in terms of portfolio of great matches to get in on work alone and what is what is your as a voter um what is your benchmark for that for me i look at i keep a uh, every four years i do the greatest wrestler ever list and uh um to me i would have to have you in the top 30 i would say in or around greatest wrestlers ever i would have to consider you at that level to um and and that's purely talking in terms of performance um to vote you in on work alone if you're if you're amongst that top 30 you get in on work alone and there as we see the wrestling move towards wrestlers having much more of a care for their match quality now than say in like 1991 or 1987 um or certainly even the late 90s, like it's match quality uh, chasing star ratings has become a much bigger thing. So you're going to see a lot of guys with deeper portfolios than you had in the past. But if we're going to vote in everyone that has a 104 and a quarter star matches or whatever, just for argument's sake, you're going to end up finding yourself probably more and more voting, thinking about voting in guys who really, I don't know if... Masato Tanaka or Roderick Strong are guys who are Hall of Fame candidates, even though they have this litany of great matches. So what I think about is, okay, I see this person now as being kind of amongst the greatest ever in terms of in-ring output, but in 20 years, are they still going to hold that spot in my th- top 30? I'm very confident Shingo Takagi and Tomohiro Ishii will. Um, I don't think there's going to be in my lifetime, I don't think 30 guys are going to put together better portfolios of in-ring work than those two. Right now, as people know, I'll say it bluntly and clearly, Shingo Takagi to me is the greatest wrestler of all time. I had him at number one in my last list in 2021. And um, that's from following his career as a rookie in 2004 and seeing everything he's done. And I think he is, in terms of pro wrestling performance, and it comes from the amount he thinks about the business what a huge fan he is of the business his historical knowledge how driven he is this is a guy who lives in a small apartment with no family who lives eats and bleeds pro wrestling like the only thing he did a tour of his apartment recently like the only it's completely bare bones aside from he has a tozawa figure that's it it's like he's got a tozawa figure and then it's like this is where i go when i'm not doing training or actually at shows wrestling and if you look at since he came into new japan he's been the iron man he's been the guy who has been on every tour whether it's fantastica mania whether it's going overseas whether it's your Just your bog standard destruction tour. Um, He's the guy during the pandemic that was, they put the company on his back for large swathes of time. Hiroshi Tanahashi and him had a mini feud for about two months during that era. And Tanahashi did a promo backstage that really stuck with me where he said, and this is Hiroshi Tanahashi. what we're talking about, he said, Shingo Takagi is the leader of the pack. We're all chasing him. And that really resonated with me and it just validated what i always thought about shingo in his dragon gate run so yeah and ishii in terms of work alone is a little bit back from that but not far off um and i'm someone who actually like i as great as Ishii's New Japan stuff has been since like 2012, 2013, there's actually if you dig into the DOL archives of random Japanese indies from the 2000s, there's a lot of great Ishii stuff. This is like a guy who was having some awesome matches in War and uh, Michinoku Pro in like 2002. Um, he had a match at Mochizuki in War in 2000, which I love. Uh, Mochizuki, there's a guy that should be on the ballot at some point. Anyway, I've said enough. Sorry, I'm I, I could I could I could talk for hours have about these guys.
1: The headline is Shingo Takagi greatest wrestler of all time. Um I voted for sh- Shingo last year as I did Ishi and I I feel that like with Ishi I think you hit the nail on the head alan is if you are going to go on the criteria being so great in one section how great does one have to be because when I went through this yesterday um if you go by cage match 140 of his matches 8.0 or higher uh 10 five star or above matches from Dave Meltzer. Uh couple the fact that this dude is doing this now at the age of 47 and has been wrestling since 1996. He debuted when I was 12, okay? I am nearing 40 with two children. So I mean, that's longevity in a, in a nutshell right there. I would also argue that he has been consistently Mr. G1, with all due respect to Masahiro Chono, he is Mr. G1 at a time when the G1 has never been more popular. He is the constant on a tournament that is based on the highest level of wrestling in a in a small period of time over the year. He is the consistent, highest performing wrestler every single summer in that tournament or fall. And I think has greatly enhanced just the prestige of the G1 as it has been exported worldwide for people to uh, sign up for New Japan World. So, um, like Ishii and Takagi get my votes, um, because I, I think that I, I think for Takagi, like, I think it's just a, a clear, um, blind spot for a lot of people that Dragon Gate does represent. That is a, I, I think very, very like under. Uh, covered promotion when it when it comes to their stability at a time when Japan was very
3: very unstable. And, and Shingo as well. Uh, during um, sort of time between Dragon Gate and New Japan, he had a couple of months where it was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll just you know take it easy for a bit, rest up before uh, just make this big career move. No, he worked at champion carnival, he worked Battle of Los Angeles, and he was like incredible in both of those. Like the the guy is just. He's so, he's so motivated. He's so driven and so durable. Like he's, he's knock on wood. He like never misses any time due to injuries or anything like that. It's, it's, it's quite, quite amazing.
2: Yeah. So, so Ishii is, is probably the one candidate that I'm going to vote for. Um, I could be talked into Jackie Sato, uh, and beauty pair, um, I
1: wanted but, to talk about them because I, I, okay. I this is an interesting one because Jackie Jackie Sato is in she was in the inaugural class in 96, but she's on this year to uh, join Kawada as a two time member um, as part of the beauty pair, which were like a phenomenally influential, like pop culture act in Japan that went above and beyond just a professional wrestling tag team. And I guess it, it comes down to like I'm I'm kind of torn on some of these like tag team additions because for many of them like you take a a Hart Foundation that are on the ballot like Bret Hart is in the Hall of Fame I don't think most people are arguing Bret Hart's candidacy I would take into account Bret Hart's involvement in the Hart Foundation with his candidacy is Jim Neidhart a Hall of Famer and this is going to be your your argument is is you see such a, a difference between the two. Um, are, are you voting them in as the act on its own? Maybe. Um, but I think it, it, it is going to be a case by case basis that you go with. Like I, I voted for Rock and Perez because I think that their time together, like, yes, Rock is already a Hall of Famer, but I think. That team, if you study uh, late 50s, early 60s in New York of what they drew, uh, like, it was phenomenal numbers that they were doing with the Graham brothers. And, like, that was a tag team territory during their biggest run on top. Um, did, but the you other tag-
3: Holy, did you vote Holy Demon Army,
1: John? I did. I did. They got yeah, in as, as well. Um, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be voting for the beauty pair. That's my, my long-winded, uh, answer to that one. Because, I mean, j- just in, in studying them, I think it was a short period. That's the argument against it. And the fact that Sato is in that you would see as like the stronger of two. Um, but man, for, for the period that they had, um, this was also like, they were also handicapped by the, the age limit as well. Like they were not going to have a 15-year run together. Like that was just not going to happen in all Japan women. And then, Jackie Sato comes back out of retirement in her twenties and has like a, a second run uh, on top of it. But, um, yeah, the, the beauty pair, any others that you're voting for in this
2: section, Brandon, just to hear. I need to learn more about the beauty pair, but, um, SEMA is close. And, uh, I, I have a soft spot for Hayabusa, but I, I will not be voting for him. Um,
3: you're you're of the uh, you're of the '90s tape trading generation, yes. Brandon. that that community has all got a soft spot. The for first
2: tape Hayabusa. I ever got through the mail was the Best of Hayabusa. <laughs> um, and, and I love it. It, like it, like it, it changed my wrestling life. It's like a six-hour. Sixth generation, terrible quality <laughs> tape. Uh, it, it it ends cut off. It just as we're getting to the All Japan era where it's Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinzaki versus Junakiyama uh, and Mitsaru Masawa from Real World Tag League, I think ninety six. And I, I, and I'm like a I don't know fifteen year old kid just flipping out watching this match, and it just cuts off. And and I was you know introduced to All Japan Pro Wrestling that way in the All Japan in the nineties. Um, but Hayabusa was super cool because he would do the high flying stuff he would do dangerous stuff and he would uh, do the death matches too. And so that, the,
3: the look, an iconic yeah. oh, one yeah. of the coolest looking wrestlers of all time.
2: Yeah. Sh- sure. Shima's gotten my vote every year,
1: but he's also one where I just, I don't feel he's going to go in. Um, but if I feel there like there
3: was no limit this year of three, because we're limited to three. That, that's year, right. Which, that's right. Yeah. It would have been it would have been a disaster if if the guys didn't get in last year were or, st- or did get in last year were still on the ballot and we were trying to limit to three. Um, oh my god, but it's actually made it quite easy for me because Yushi, uh, Shima, uh, and Shingo are are my three guys, and I would have voted for them um uh, comfortably. So um, yes, yeah, like someone like the beauty pair, like Brandon said, I'd like to give more. Um, time and thought to, but I just, I, I'm going to use my vote on the three that I, un, until those three aren't all on the ballot or on, unless we go to four at some point, I'll just keep voting those three. Um, Ashima, I won't spend a ton of time on Shima. Um, like he's uh, obviously a great worker, but there's huge levels of influence there, not just on, on Japanese wrestling, um, in, in terms of what he was able to, do with Toriumon and Dragon Gate, um, the, who we brought the front over, those companies. It's it, like his influence on U.S. wrestling, um, like that March 31, 2006 Super Card of Honor trios match, like that shaped independent pro wrestling. I talked about the Young Bucks kind of putting their spin on things that came a little bit later, but like the style of, of indie wrestling. Um, The Ricochets, the Johnny Garganos, the people like that, like that style that those guys mastered, El Generico, um, it came from Dragon Gate. And a lot of them learned it in Dragon Gate because that's where they went. And like, if you talk to a Ricochet, like he was, uh, he did not, he, he would just talk about how he was trash before Shima took him under the under his wing and, and brought him over to Dragon Gate and taught him how to be a star. And, and, and the thing you get in Dragon Gate, and it's probably not great for, um, uh, I know some of the, the Western wrestlers have talked about what a shock to the system it is in terms of kind of building up injuries and stuff is they work so much. Um, I think a lot of the Japanese guys in, in Dragon Gate, like you look at Susumu, just a really cool side fact on the recent Dragon Gate Corican show, they celebrated the 20th anniversary or sorry, 25th anniversary of uh, Susumu Genki Horiguchi and Yasushi Kanda and Kenichiro Rai. Right? They celebrated their anniversary by having the same two singles matches they had on the first Toriumon show in 1999. Um, they were able to do those same matches uh, on a Korrigan show in 2023 with all four guys still active, um, which is remarkable. So like a lot of the older Toriumon guys and Dragon Gate guys, like, they've been able to stay very durable and injury free. But I think a lot of like your Western wrestlers that went over and it was a shock to the system just working as much as they did. But the thing was, you get so good with those reps Uh, you get so good and dragon gate has such an emphasis on portraying yourself as a star um connecting to the audience that that i think helped a lot of u.s indie guys as well um the list is long in terms of people matt Seidel, jack evans generico uh uha nation rich swan uh ricochet countless others that spent oh Pac obviously um yeah uh so many that um excelled as a result of being there and shima was in many ways responsible and he's he's left dragon gate in 2018 and it's been it's been uh an interesting journey since then that's uh probably a a, a topic for a, another time but uh yeah it's um I, I, he'll get my vote based on his influence for sure
1: That'll be a log form podcast from Alan entitled an interesting journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The last section um, we can go over is uh, the non wrestlers, which is a maximum of six that you can vote in. And the candidates are Dave, ba- Dave Brown, Bobby Bruns, Bob Cottle, Bobby Davis, Joe Higuchi, Jim Johnston, Larry Matizik, James Melby, Rossi Ogawa, Reggie Parks, Morris Siegel, Tony Shivani, George Scott, Senshiro Takagi, Mike Tenay, Ted Turner, Roy Welch, Stanley Weston, and the Grand Wizard. So who will you be voting for, Brandon, among the, the non-wrestlers? I have not finalized my list here, but I, I, I do have four for sure that I'm voting for.
2: Uh, it's the same as last year. So uh, the belt maker, Reggie Parks, uh, best in his class. Jim Johnson, the music producer, best in his class. And I will vote again for the Grand R- Wizard, who of course, was a legendary manager in the WWF. Have you heard that uh,
1: Dave is considering adding... Um, Zane Breslov to the ballot next year, as well as,
3: and this is going to be the most interesting, Jerry McDivitt to the ballot. Wow, how strongly was as I've heard like people reacting to that, and then I've heard people say it was just an offhand kind of. I I heard the clip.
1: He sounded like he was uh he he was very serious about
3: it. I mean, it's yeah, no, that's like where do you draw the line? Like, come on. The 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 they had someone who was a damn fine head of HR for twenty years, and it's like, or like, oh, the person that provided the catering in nineteen ninety eight was just exceptional. And we need, like, at at some point, you have to draw a line of what's outside the realm of the Wrestling Hall of Fame. And I think the great lawyer is very much outside that. I would even struggle with Nick Khan, um, and I think there's argument in terms of how influential he's been but i don't know he's an executive with no it, no
2: it's to me that's you're, you're going too far how do you that. feel about ted turner who is on this ballot
3: um i don't i would like there to be more um record of ted turner clearly having Thought about pro wrestling and made decisions for the pro wrestling company than there is. Uh, Dave has a line where he says Ted Turner thought about wrestling five minutes a year. Um, I don't know if that's the case, uh, but I've not seen anything to make me think it's uh it's not the case. So it's, I, I yeah, he's he's just that little bit removed. He had a big impact in terms of at least one decision he made, but I don't know. I just don't think that. I just don't think that should be celebrated on something like this, where,
2: yeah, yeah. I think, I think feeling, it's hard
1: for like I haven't voted for Ted Turner in the past. He's one of those where you say it to them, and your your immediate reaction is, well, like of course, Ted Turner should be in, but as I give it more thought, like, like, where do we draw the line? Like, where where is WWE once they leave Spike, if not for a Bonnie Hammer at USA Network? I mean, it could have, like, drastically affected that company who had no leverage leaving Spike. Um, granted, uh, Ted Turner, it was, you know, significant decision-making that he made. But um, I don't know. He, he's one for me that just has not uh, crossed the line where uh, it's it's certainly a different industry with him. But it also was not
2: his, his bread and butter either. Um, in terms of his day to day, yeah. In, in, in terms of his function, like he's not somebody who worked full time primarily in the wrestling business, and that's the case. I think with everybody else who's in this Hall of Fame, uh, so, yeah. It's a uh, it's it's he was awful. out
3: racing. He was out racing yachts, with Rupert Murdoch.
1: Yeah, yeah. God knows what else. Yeah. Will, and, and will and Mr. Kind of Zaslov get onto the ballot,
2: Brandon? That's yeah, a, a good question. And because he think about like... wrestling more than five, I, I guess he's thought about wrestling more than five minutes this year probably at least when he was talking to tony khan um but i I think like you know looking at ted turner it's like if he was not the figure in culture and wider culture that he was he's he's probably not rising to the radar enough for people to request him to be on the ballot and get the votes that he's got and there's i feel like there's not to downplay what ted turner has done for the wrestling business and that he, he gave wrestling a tv outlet which was extremely valuable and he had the power to do so and he did it um but there's probably a lot of other people whose whose names we just don't recognize as well, who made I don't want to say similar contributions because they didn't have as much power, but but made important contributions, but we just don't know their names. But everybody knows Ted Turner's name because he was such an important figure in media in general in the '80s and '90s.
3: I suppose the question I'd ultimately ask when it comes to someone like that is, did this person contribute to the product? And I like. Ted skits. <laughs> a booker uh, who doesn't appear on screen. Um, no, they're not an on-screen part of the product, but they're influencing the product. Um, I am contributing to it actively. And an executive like a Nick Khan, um, Nick Khan is the first to tell you he's completely hands-off with the product. So if he's saying that, then I'm saying, okay, that's great. You're not going to be in the Hall of Fame.
1: I'll get a little dark here, but I mean... There is going to come a time when Ted Turner is going to die, and there is going to be massive media coverage when he does pass away. And if he's at forty-one percent, like that, certainly could be enough that it puts him over the threshold. If there is, you know, significant spotlight on you know his career, his legacies, like there's always going to be usually that that bump when someone passes away, and naturally you're going to get that further spotlight. And it, it might be enough that it makes up because he's come yeah w- within striking distance at forty-one percent to get in
3: do you think pro wrestling will get a mention uh, in any mainstream article about him after that happens? It's hard to say it's, it, it, it might be
1: small. It's, it's not going to be in any of the first 10 paragraphs of uh, the Ted Turner legacy, most likely. Um, well, I'm voting for, for Dave Brown, uh, for sure. I mean, the guy out there stumping on collision. His performance on
3: Rampage last, or he's never watched me.
1: but Dave Brown, God bless the
3: man. He's, so, he's still so sharp. Like, he was right there with those guys. Like, uh, yeah, if he does very a game changer cool.
1: show by the end of the year, I mean, that's going to seal it. Um I'm voting for Bobby Bruns, Um Bobby Davis. I've, you know, since, you know, researching him after reading like the buddy Rogers book. I mean, he's just, he's just a, a very overlooked uh figure. And uh, Jesse Collins has a really great piece on Bobby Davis. Yep. If you want to check that out on the voices of wrestling site Um and more Siegel, those are the four I'm on right now. I guess I have uh, uh more, more options here, but, Alan, who has, who stands out with you on um on the list?
3: Um, I've got Bobby Davis, Dave Brown, Joe Higuchi, um, Larry Madisic, uh, Tony Shivani. Uh, Morris Siegel is someone that um, I feel like could be pressured into voting for because the people who are like I don't know, I know very little about Morris Siegel. There's very little out there to uh to to know about him, but it seems like um yeah, people are like he. He needs to be in this thing, and it's something that I think a lot of people feel like he should be a, um, what does Dave call the the candidates who get kind of put in without a vote? Um, uh, he he should be one of those because he comes so far before everyone else. It's right. like it's like how can you judge them? And because he's down his historical, and so is like sergeant slaughter or the heart foundation it's like
1: I, he, he does kind like, of fall into that category we had last year with ludaro and and johnny doyle
3: like we're yes. just we're so far removed so um, far removed from that period but um yeah no i uh, the, i have five for sure and uh, maybe i'll be bullied into uh, voting for marcy Siegel by jesse
1: well um there you have it. Are there any um, are there any outstanding candidates uh, among the uh, the historical performers
3: that uh, have your eye, Alan? Uh, before we uh, are yeah, so wind things I've, down. I've got five. Um, the max is eight in this. I I won't use my my full eight. Uh, uh I've got Sputnik Monroe. Um, I've got Rocka and Perez for the reasons you mentioned earlier. I've got Johnny Rougeau, who's my too. I think really highly of. I'm not gonna do the um. I'm not going to do the pitch on Johnny Rougeau. I don't feel qualified to do it when I the work of Pat LaPrade is out there. I'd say just find anything Pat LaPrade has ever written about Montreal wrestling and Johnny Rougeau or anything he's ever done talking about it. it it's when you learn about it, you're like, why he, is this He's guy, such a
1: strong candidate when you really he, do go into like the research um, that, that Pat's done. And, and, yeah.
3: and Montreal is like one of the just definitive pro wrestling cities like to me it's like it's got such a legacy in pro wrestling like and he traveled he it was it was also not just montreal
1: centric like that's where he's attached to of course but the 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 guy did leave his territory too and did did well on on top of it i mean there's the language barrier i think when it comes to, to his history and and such but yeah when you go into like man the numbers this guy drew and where he drew it's I don't know. I think, I think he's, uh, one of the stronger candidates and,
3: you know, that, that support has grown. Uh, JYD also for me, um, I, uh, I, 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 I don't feel like, um, uh, Hall of Fame cases are built on these kind of like little, little stories or, uh, things, but sometimes I feel they're, they're nice to share. It was, uh, um, when I was in New Orleans, the first of the two WrestleManias I went to in New Orleans, um, we were in a restaurant and, uh, uh the, uh, the waitress or someone working there, uh, picked up on our accents being from, um, abroad and, and she was very inquisitive why we were in visiting and what we were looking to see and all this. And it's like, oh, we're going to the WrestleMania show. And she had no idea WrestleMania was happening. She didn't know anything about wrestling. And then she was just fascinated that we had traveled for that purpose. And then she goes, is JYD going to be there? I had to, oh, say, wow. I had to break it to her that he was unlikely to be there. Um, so it was like, yeah, yeah, it's just a nice little thing, but it is representative of just what a huge cultural icon he was in the early eighties in Louisiana. And the thing that's, uh, that I learned last year, which I didn't realize previously was how big of a draw on a star he was in Houston. And, for people that don't know, the, the Houston territory, Paul Bosch's Houston territory, it was basically rather than being a territory like a Mid-South or a Memphis where you had your, your stars of your territory, he had relationships with all these other territories and would bring in guys to supplement their work. So it might be a, guy, a couple of guys from Texas, a couple of guys from St. Louis, wherever it would be. Um, like he would bring them into Houston. It was kind of like an all-star kind of a situation. And JYD was someone who was used a lot there. He wrestled Nick Bockwinkle on multiple occasions for the AWA World Heavyweight title there. It drew really well. Like, JYD was a big draw, big cultural phenomenon. Um, yeah, it's, there's negatives to his case for sure that WF run um, in terms of his in-ring performance is is a bit of a struggle but uh yeah uh and then sergeant slaughter absolute no-brainer candidate for me i think one of the best performers of the 80s in terms of match quality um in terms of his character just his work in in the early 80s in um the carolinas and then in uh uh new york for wf like the stuff he did with Iron cheek is some of my favorite wrestling ever. Like those matches, the boot camp match, obviously, is the one that's talked about. But the matches and angles leading up to that at the MSGs, I think, for like three straight months beforehand, unbelievable stuff.
1: Yeah, this guy got fifty nine percent two years ago, as close as you can come. Then fell to fifty seven percent last year, and is this not the year? Yeah, he's got to get fifty percent. Uh, Fallen candidates will be dropped next year unless they are elected in or garner 50% of the vote. Uh, so, yeah, if Slaughter falls below 50, he would be off this year.
3: I and think he, He's moved from modern to historical right. this year. So that's it's going right. to be interesting to see if that changes his number a lot.
1: The last one that I have for for you, Alan, is where you fall. And this could be a whole separate podcast, but just a yes or no answer. Big Daddy, thumbs up. <laughs> down. Uh, th-
3: the thumbs real down. Shawn Michaels of this ballot sorry alan blackstock uh brandon uh was fascinated about the idea of that i was going to the library um last oh yeah uh, for all the fame purposes it was to uh print out case lowe's roman reigns article because i don't have a printer and uh um but i decided brandon was so excited about it i was like all right all my hall of fame research is happening in the library and i went there and spent a couple hours there read a bunch of stuff wrote out my my ballot on the back um but one of the things I did is I was curious: will I be able to find anything in the library that's in any way connected to any one on this ballot? And uh, a small library in Dublin is like: will I be able to find something? And I found like a, a encyclopedia kind of a thing. It was like a British and Irish history encyclopedia, and uh, I went to the B section, and uh, sadly. Big Daddy did not make it. Um, uh, there was other celebrities in there, um, but no Big Daddy, I'm afraid to say. So apologies once again to Alan Blackstock. If anyone has ever carried the flag for a candidate uh, with the the, the the strength and the gusto that Alan Blackstock has for Big Daddy, I have not seen it. But um, uh, sadly, he's, uh, he's not getting my vote.
1: I was always hoping we'd at least get like a think piece with the headline. Surely he's a Hall <laughs> of Famer. <laughs> we have a super chat here from uh, Jake Allenar who writes in, do any of you see an issue of Chris Benoit still being in the Hall of Fame despite the obvious that happened? So, a light question to, uh, to round out our uh, conversation. So for those that uh, might not be familiar of his Hall of Fame past, Chris Benoit was voted in while he was alive, and then there was the first, and I believe only, like referendum on Chris Benoit where he was voted to stay in the hall of fame. Uh, this was several years after the, uh, the murder suicide of 2007. So Chris Benoit remains in the wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame. Um, do you look at this as like a, a black Mark Brandon, or is this one where you, you're not staying up at night wondering about, uh, Chris Benoit's candidacy.
2: I I don't stay up at night thinking about, the fact that chris pen was still in the, in the wrestling observer hall of fame um that's not not that i endorse murder or anything like that i i don't know i, I wasn't a voter when that when that referendum was happening um i don't know how i would vote i might vote to take him I, out i did vote at the
1: time and i i had a, like a much um kind of hardline stance about i'm not voting on these these individuals and who they are because I just thought at the time it opens up such a Pandora's box. This is the extreme example, but where are we stopping about people that are unsavory figures and does that disqualify them? So I did not vote him out. Today, I do look at it in a much different way that I look at him as... Would you vote him
2: in today if you were a fresh candidate? No, I wouldn't. Um, wouldn't.
1: And I wouldn't wouldn't vote to keep him in at, at this point either. I think overall you can be uh is appreciative of the man's talents, and maybe that's what this Hall of fame should only be voted upon and you take out all of that. I can respect that opinion, but I think overall chris Benoit, his legacy is going to be tied to his ending and not the years and decades that uh preceded it. so I would not be voting for him uh now, but I can also see the other argument of that people like we are not voting for morals and ethics of among these figures that are in a hall of fame. I am voting for what the criteria is, but you can certainly state that you know chris benoit what was his um contribution to professional wrestling um it's a negative one
3: yeah I'll that's what i was just gonna say is that like you can you can remove morals and everything from your vote and still say i'm not gonna vote for him because he if you think of historical significance his positives in terms of that are so outweighed by the negatives that he brought onto pro wrestling i remember all the the from people for people who weren't around the summer of two thousand seven, like it really tarnished like if you go back and watch some of the the media appearances and uh, like pro wrestling was pulled through the ringer. Um It was the worst uh,
1: period for just like
3: covering this and talking about this stuff
1: every week. It like it was it was, so it was it, as low as I can recall, a period of just it was so depressing to like have to go. Were you these-
3: doing the were you doing the show with Morrow at that time? Yes. Tom?
1: Yeah. We were we were doing like we were on the air the next day. Um yeah, it was it just like a terrible period just in the in the sense of like it like there was so much like you couldn't just divorce this from professional wrestling like you had to connect it, like the, these two things like what was the cause of this for this individual um and you know people have like rationalized and come to their own conclusions but it's one that it was it was a very dark period but I mean it was one and, and WWE hardly a shining light in terms of how they handled it and their I mean, today I think that story is covered a whole lot more different in terms of how they went out there and how they presented like their side of things. It was, um, yeah, it was a period that I, I think the WWE very much wanted to just move on and get us further away from. But, um, it's a, it, it's certainly a discussion that was out there for a long time. Well, on that on that pleasant note, as we uh we wrap things up here, uh this was great. I really enjoyed doing this. Uh, this this whole discussion. We only got to uh, a handful of the candidates, but um, can I raise certain- one
2: more thing? Yes. Are, are there are there any candidates who are not on the ballot that you think should be on the ballot?
3: Uh, yeah. I mentioned Mizaki Mochizuki earlier, um, for a lot of the same reasons as Shingo and Ishii, um although the, the extra thing of he's currently like in his mid fifties and he's still incredible. And uh, his son uh, might end up even better. Uh, he, w- people who aren't familiar, will see him uh, at the upcoming new Japan power struggles show. Um, but yeah, so Mochizuki for sure. Um,
1: uh, I'm, I'm let to let me throw one so... of both of you, like in terms of, Oh, let's, let's assume that, by the time we're talking next year, there's, there's a new television deal, um, which maybe that's being presumptuous, but probably not. Um, a, a Tony Khan on, on this ballot.
2: Like to me, it's one that, um, well, as far as the bare requirements, you have to have, what, 10, 10 or 15 years of experience in the business,
3: right? Hey, he had a lot of years of hard... Yeah, hard what's considered boarding.
1: experience here? This guy's been, you know, he's been at the roots. Tape,
3: tape trading. Yeah. This guy
1: was probably deep on message boards chatting with Alan Farrell in the middle of the night. He, he, did, he did the coding
3: for John McAdams' uh, tape trading website back in the early 90s. So, you know, uh, um, like, I, yeah, I, to me for Tony, I, I'd want to see... I think his case is going to be a lot better. It's going to be a lot more interesting to evaluate his case in 20 years than it will be next year or anything like that. So very much wait and see um, what comes, because we've seen how things change year to year. Um, who knows what things will look like in terms of his count? Cam- like he could just decide he's done with this tomorrow um or he could create three more promotions like would either of those things shock you it's there's, we don't know where the story is going and i f- feels like we're still in the very early chapters of it like he's he's the age vince was when like before the first wrestlemania i want to say maybe around was like
1: 40 and Khan's what 41 i think like yeah, so, around the same uh, age
3: yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of story left to be told there um i think there and, was- and this is
1: the first time like he he needs to you know he's going against like re- resistance and there's popularity that has decreased in the product and how he's going to go about that what his answers are of sort of getting aew through the period that that they're going with right now like he's he's got his um you know he's got a tumultuous period a- a- ahead of him i would say not to mention, like where the television industry is in the moment that he's navigating, as he has to solidify this next uh, television deal. Like this, this next year is going to be very, very um, informative of what the next five years is going to be for that company and for the industry. Was there anyone with you, Brandon, that you brought that up? That, like, the, was there anyone that like jumps I'm, I'm, out?
2: I'm I'm going to sound like the uh, the representative WB Mark here. I, th- I think the Usos have got to be coming soon as as a as candidates. They're same age as me, I think, so it means they're they qualify in age, um, but they've been, a, as far as a tag team, I think they've been the most important tag team, at least of these last couple of years, that's coincided with an increase in, in W's business fan interest. So I think that's coming. Um, and then the one that gets brought up a lot is, uh, is, is I guess Dave's not going to put himself on, which means he, I guess he's also not going to put Wade Keller on.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, he's... When it comes to like media, I would um, vote for Wade Keller for the you? record. <laughs> yes.
3: As we'll get into in plugs. <laughs> yes.
1: Would uh would Chris Harrington get on the uh, on the ballot Brandon? I don't know. Uh he,
2: he doesn't have 15 years of experience in the business yet either.
1: Yes. <laughs> trying to think of all our uh our all of our connections here. Maybe maybe Wade uh, Kent gets on the ballot.
3: I, I I thought of someone there. Um I'd like to see Grant Hamada back on. Um I think uh I think um yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, thought to be given to his candidacy that I don't think was given to his candidacy and, um, a lot of the influence arguments I made for Shima earlier. I think you can go a couple of, uh, generations back and on that same kind of family tree, look at Gran Hamada. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one I think I'd like to see people analyze a, a bit more and give some thought to, but I think it would be very hard for him to get in with the, um, with the cop on the Japan category right now.
1: Yeah. I, I I definitely like, I think as the hall of fame expands and you look at sort of like a lot of the new technology that, that we have, like we have access to so much data now. Like I look at stuff like that, like tools that people have that have absolutely changed the way the fan experience is the way wrestling is covered. Like you look at like the cage matches of the world or just advancements in technology, like things
3: that are sort of our, day being found like there's it, totally. there's, all, there's all japan matches that have never been seen before fan cams that are being put up regularly now that uh like that are really good quality and stuff from like the early 90s and the late 80s and um it's remarkable to see it just gives you hope that there's stuff that you thought you might never see you could still potentially be out there somewhere it's gathering dust in someone's attic
1: yeah, this is the uh outsourcing David Bixenspan for his list of uh the 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 unsung heroes of uh, professional wrestling coverage um that that is out there. But um this was a fantastic chat and Alan, we uh definitely want to have you back on sometime in the uh future. But do let us know where all of the Pollock and Thurston viewers can go check out uh more of all of your fine work under potential future Hall of Fame candidate Wade
3: Keller. guys thank you so much for having me on it was an absolute blast as you you both know i'm a huge fan of of both your work and um the first time getting to do a podcast with both of you and it was uh, it was great to to do so uh um on a, a, a Perfect topic. I think we finally gave WH Park his wish, John, and did a show together and, and Brandon thrown in for good measure as well as, uh, it was a splendid time. I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, if people want to hear more from me, um, very much like podcasting at the moment for me is like, it's just something I do for, you know, um, I I highlight the things I enjoy about pro wrestling and a lot of that is this historical stuff and, um, i kind of go in a lot of different avenues in terms of what i have on my show uh it's alan Pro progress paradise and it's available at pw torch vip um, i'm not trying to uh, keep up to date with uh, um, all the modern uh, happenings and um, you know giving my my hot takes there's so many there's so many shows out there i, I'm, I basically do what i think will be fun because i think if I'm enjoying myself doing a podcast like I have today it's going to make for better um listening for the listener um but uh, yeah you can check that out at PW Torch VIP and uh one of the things I'm really proud of the last uh, two years or so is the uh, very hack named at uh, 34L30 that I've been doing where to celebrate uh, I think like 2021 was my 30 years as being a pro wrestling fan so i just took 30 of my favorite wrestlers and would have on uh 30 uh uh, great guests to talk about those wrestlers and we're i think about 24 episodes in at this point so kind of spaced them out over the last two years or so and it's some of my favorite stuff i've ever done like um just yeah i won't get into the list of of wrestlers and and guests we've ha- we've had for that series but i've just been really really proud of that and um yes yeah, sign up for the torch vip look it, there's obviously as people would expect there's all kinds of of great analysis of like modern wrestling and shows like re- reviewing current tv shows and there's the torch newsletter obviously every week uh which i sometimes contribute to with, with a column but what everyone would know what to expect from that end of it. What I like to plug when I plug the torch is the archives of old radio shows that Wade did in the early nineties that he, God bless him, kept on tape and has converted all these shows. Um, the pro wrestling focus shows he did every Sunday morning, um, in like 92, 93 are just incredible listening because you get like Paul Heyman coming on and, doing his spin as he uh, was like in a legal battle with WCW after having left that company, you get Sean Waltzman on like right at around the period he's joining the WF. And like, he's talking openly about like where things are at in terms of the progression of joining that company and like going over to do best of super juniors. And we'll see what happens when things come back. Like with him beating Razor Ramon on raw, like you get his thoughts live, as they were at that time um there's a really interesting show I listened to recently where they had um Brian uh Christopher and um Chris Candido both on as guests to hype an upcoming match they were having on an indie show and it was really funny because Chris Candido was like total open book like not trying to insult the listener's intelligence and Brian Christopher was like uh, Uh, just complete heel worker mode like and you just see the difference in these two young guys in their 20s in terms of how they saw the business and like Wade God bless him was like apologizing to his listeners for Brian Christopher (laughs) is like uh, he might not have been familiar with the standard we expect of our guests (laughs) Wade, Wade just took things very seriously and he was great like Wade was in his 20s at this point and like he was really really great and it's really really interesting to go back and listen to that stuff so yeah uh, excuse me for the long plug but i just really love those uh, shows so yeah sign up for the torch vip and there's all kinds of hidden bonus stuff like that that you'll find there
1: i would be frightened to listen to myself 20 years ago so god bless uh, wade for uh, putting it all, all out there for people to check out so uh, do check it out a lot of great work on on the torch site from alan from wade todd martin rich van uh an all-star cast over on the uh the pro wrestling torch site. And of course, you can go support patreon dot com slash uh Mark Calloway, uh as well. Uh <laughs> Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics and Post Wrestling dot com. Myself and Wei Ting will be back later tonight, right after Dynamite, uh, where we will have our hot takes after uh after AEW. And Brandon, anything you are uh, working on?
2: Uh Endeavor is announcing a formal review of strategic alternatives since he's been on the air here. Uh, oh but they will not be, they will not be, um, what did they say here? I'm, I'm, reading an email that, uh, Ari Emanuel sent out to staff and Endeavor will not consider the sale or disposition of its interest in TKO. So it sounds like they're shopping the Endeavor company, which owns 51% of TKO. They're not partying with TKO though, but somebody else, I guess could control Endeavor. I uh, will, will learn more. Uh,
1: Always, always something to, to <laughs> uncover next in, in the in the wide world of uh, Endeavor slash TKO. Yeah. Um, but do follow all of Brandon's great work. NXT numbers will be dropping momentarily from... They're out. They're out already. Are, are they out? Okay. Alan, did you get to see what I believe Vic Joseph called the biggest match in the history of Ireland last night between Becky Lynch and Lyra Valkyrie? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I haven't yet, actually. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I saw that uh, um, uh what's her, it, it, lyra valkyria i i she's was she's there not a valkyrie. parade today in in the country for her big championship win <laughs> she was valkyrie when she was uh working over here in ireland um and geez, i saw her wrestle on some small small shows like um in in some community halls and stuff like this a couple of years ago and i remember thinking she seems pretty good um like she has some potential and uh um Yeah, good for her. She's, she's done very well, uh, going over there and clearly made a good impression on people to, to get that opportunity. And, um, I, I, it's no surprise that, um, Becky Lynch would want to take someone that uh, I think she probably sees a lot of the same, uh, a lot of herself within, uh, Valkyrie and probably, um, saw her as someone that she wanted to do this for. So, um, and there's, I know they had that footage from Fight Factory, um, A couple of weeks ago, where they showed uh, when Becky came over and did the seminar with them there. Um, So yeah, uh, it's a cool story.
1: Yes, seven hundred eighty-seven thousand viewers, point two one for night one of Halloween Havoc. Uh, So there you go. Uh, For Alan Brandon Thurston, I am John Pollock, and we are going to bid everyone a farewell to, I think. The longest running episodic edition of Paula Thurston today <laughs> I, um, knew I, I knew I'd do it. We've set the record, Brandon. <laughs> I, I don't think we can top this. An hour 48 <laughs> of great Hall of Fame discussion, and that's going to wrap up the show. So thanks to everyone, and we'll be back next Wednesday.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.